I'm Ava Hartling. Welcome to the Brand is Female podcast. Every week, I speak with women changemakers and founders who are redefining the rules of female leadership. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Women in Enterprise. TD helps women in business achieve success and growth through their educational workshops, financing, and mentorship. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. In today's episode, we talk about how lessons from our own personal growth journey can transpire into business and the importance of believing in our own worth despite challenges. Over 20 years ago, Katrin Choi got clean from a drug addiction. This experience is what propelled her to launch her own company, So Young, thoughtfully made lifestyle goods with the mission to make personal wellness sustainable. After living many years believing she was not capable and an overwhelming feeling of unworthiness, Katrin set out to prove to herself she could tap into her own potential and pursue a greater vision. So Young has become this vehicle through she taps into her inner resilience and continually pushes past the boundaries of what she thinks she's capable of. Here is our conversation. I hope you'll find it inspiring. Catherine, it's such a pleasure having you on The Brand is Female today. Thank you for making time to speak with me. Oh, of course. It's my honor and my pleasure. I, if you, I know you've listened to episodes before, and I like to start these interviews by asking my guests to kind of rewind and, and remember uh, their time growing up. So I want to know, in your case, as a young girl, what kind of career or profession or, you know, any, any professional life that you envisioned for yourself uh, when you were still young? And is, you know, did it have anything to do with what you're actually doing today? Or was it something that was completely different? Um, well, the, the interesting thing is, yes, it does have a lot to do with what I do today, but not in the way that you would expect. Because really, when I was um, growing up, I really grew up in a very disempowered environment. Um, you know, my parents, while they, you know, I knew that they loved me, um, it was a very uh, old culture. And mm-hmm. um there wasn't a sense of you could do anything you put your mind to. It was very much, uh, you know, uh, a sense of wanting uh, my sister and I to grow up with making choices that would keep us safe. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, the culture, I'm from a Korean family. um, It was very much about becoming a marriageable girl, even though I grew Mm -hmm. up in Canada. Um, And so I really actually did not have, or I do not recall, you know, having a vision of myself, you know, for the future. Um, People would ask me, you know, what what do you want to be when you grow up? And I remember just saying kind of like by default, like, I want to be a vet. But really, it was just Mm. because I like dogs and it wasn't had nothing to do with anything, you know, and uh, I really just didn't have a really strong sense of possibility for myself, you know. Mm. And tell me a bit when that started changing. And I know you've been, you know, very open and transparent about sharing your your personal journey, uh, you know, through overcoming addiction and over overcoming uh, kind of a, a challenging part of your life, which is where, uh, yeah. which has really got got you to where you are today. But um, tell me a little bit about that journey of kind of figuring out how to empower yourself. And I'm curious to know as well of anybody who helped you along the way, and maybe it was women role models, other role models, 
uh, understanding if anybody had kind of an external influence since that didn't come from your parents directly in your case. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'll unpack that. There's a lot of there's a lot of points yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> um, wherever wherever you want to start, and we'll see where sure, it takes us. Sure. Yeah. So I think you know uh, what you're referring to is you know um, over 25 years ago now. Uh, it'll actually be 25 years ago this year. Um, I got clean from a heroin addiction. And congratulations. Oh, thank you. You know, and, and, you know, I was very unlikely in the sense of like, you know, I was not in your profile, even when I became addicted to heroin, you know, I'd gone to university, I went to McGill and, mm. you know, I'd graduated, but, you know, this sense of um, inadequacy and mm. worthlessness and insecurity, you know, that that's what was my identity. And I didn't even know it because that was my mm. normal, you know? And uh, being very susceptible to, you know, what other people thought um, as more important than what I thought, you know, mm -hmm. and having grown up in a very, very strict household when I was finally, you know, set free, I had this sense of I'm going to try everything that I never was able to do, you know, mm -hmm. and very mm -hmm. quickly I went down the wrong path and found myself in a place where I couldn't believe where I was. You know, I couldn't mm. believe that very shortly after I moved out of my house, you know, I was, you know, addicted to a very potent drug and uh, found myself unable and completely powerless to stop. Mm. Um, and to the point where, you know, it just got worse and worse and worse. And, you know, I ended up doing so many things that I never thought I would, right? And mm. stealing money from my father and, and, uh, you know, it, it just went down a very, very dark path. Um, and and were you still in school at that time? Was that during your no, university I had, years? I had graduated from university and it was, mm. uh, you know, the first few years after uh, I was working initially in a bank and uh, for a banking software company. And, you know, uh, the course of my addiction lasted about four years, um, during which time, you know, it just the, the bar just kept getting lowered as to, you know, what I would do, you know, mm -hmm. and um, I had reached a point where I my father didn't know that I was skimming money off of his investments. And mm -hmm. my plan B was that if he ever found out that I was just going to kill myself, you know, because my father wow was a terrifying figure to me and, um, mm. uh, and, you know, a, a source of, you know, trauma and abuse growing up, you know, my father, mm. there, there was a lot of just really painful and um, traumatic incidents growing up. And so that was my out, you know, right. and what ended up happening was, you know, in the end, he did find out and I was faced with this, like, okay, it's, you know, uh, I have, this is my out. And, you know, not actually being able to go through with the plan and then being faced with, okay, but then now what, right? Now what? Mm -hmm. And having to really um, find the, you know, whatever it took in order to face what I had created for myself. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I talk about this very openly on my website because I had an experience during that time, which to me is 
kind of what I consider to be like an awakening moment for me, you know, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it was this experience where, you know, when I finally surrendered and I finally just said, you know, I obviously am not going to go forward with my plan and mm -hmm. I don't have any more answers. And, you know, I had always said, well, I would get clean, but I don't want anyone to find out, you know, I can't take off any time from work. And it was all these conditions that I was like, mm -hmm. it has to happen under these conditions. Otherwise I can't do it. And mm -hmm. when I was basically, you know, down on my knees, it was like, no more conditions. It was at any right. cost. It didn't matter right. who found out, you know, and so that's really what it took. Right. And I was able to ask for help. And, you know, my sister came and helped me and, you know, we got me into a detox center in Montreal. And like, there's all, the whole story is laid out on the website, but really mm -hmm. the part that I still, you know, look back on with kind of wonderment is the experience that I had of, you know, I had been very, very um, scared of the experience of actually getting clean. You know, my body was mm. physically addicted to these drugs. Yeah. And I had tried and tried and tried and tried on my own. And like, you know, just the the sickness of, yeah. you know, trying to kick something like this on my own. I just I couldn't do it. And mm -hmm. when I actually went through that experience, I uh, went through a three, four day period where, you know, it was like I was lifted from the experience. And I don't really remember it. It was just mm -hmm. very like little bits and pieces came back to me. But at the end of the fourth day, third or fourth day, I remember just waking up and going, something's different, you know? Mm. And what I realized was for the first time in four years, I had no desire to use, right? Wow. And that was never, the, like every single day I woke up with this monkey on my back of like, just, mm -hmm. just one more day, just one more day, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and that desire to use never came back, right? Mm. And and when I think about that, and, I, you know, it became more profound over the course of the next years, because, you know, I still went through with all of the things that, you know, I was recommended to, to do, which was, you know, go through, I went through a 90 day treatment center, and I went to 12 step meetings for years, and I had a very tight circle of recovery around me. Mm -hmm. But I never had any kind of cravings. I never, and mm -hmm. I know that people around me did. Right. There right, was there were right. people struggling and I never really understood why. Right. And mm. to me now, I look back at that and I think that, you know, it was um, kind of this moment of God's grace. Right. And, right. you know, mm. I've never been super religious. However, I have very much over the course of my life really come to embrace uh, spirituality as who, mm. you know, this, this experience was a spiritual experience for me. And mm. I also came to understand that this was given to me as a gift, not just for me to enjoy on my own and to be off on my merry way, right? It was very much something that I felt like I have to share this, right? Mm. And I did that. It didn't make sense to me, um, and I kind of tucked it away for many years. And, you know, I spent the next 10 years, like, stabilizing my life, mm -hmm. you know. And I came to Toronto and I eventually, you know, got a job and, you know, became a, you know, a responsible member of society again. And, mm -hmm. um, and then at about 10 years clean, you know, 
what I was left with was still, though, even though I had no desire to use, still left with that feeling inside of me that I just not, I'm just not enough. I'm just mm. not good enough. And other people have something I don't have. Right. Right. I was I was going to ask about that because you were able to overcome the physical addiction, but yeah. you know, kind of the mental and emotional roots was was still with you. Yes, very much so. And, you know, and I continued to work through it. You know, by that point, I had really become very well versed in, you know, uh, my issues in therapy, in 12 step programs to the point where I had talked ad nauseum about, you know, why I felt this way. And I understood very well the pain and the trauma that had led to this, but it didn't seem to make a difference to how I felt, right? I couldn't think myself better. And, um, um, you know, I had a deepening sense of dissatisfaction with my uh, occupation, which was, um, you know, I went back into Uh, financial software as an analyst. And I was really, really deeply unhappy and looking for another solution or what I could potentially do, you know. And, um, um, you know, it's a, basically I took this circuitous path and I had um, studied with a Buddhist for a year, a Zen Buddhist mm -hmm. who taught Shiatsu. And I, I studied Shiatsu with him and it was very much a self-development program. It really wasn't about learning how to do Shiatsu. And, you know, he taught meditation and chanting and there was a lot of body work. And, you know, now I understand like the emotions are in the body, right? And so when you work on the body, there's a lot of release that happens. And so I spent a year you know, studying with this teacher while I was still working. And during the course of that year, I found the courage to just leave my my job, even though I had mm -hmm. no safety net, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, and I knew that that was the right thing to do. But it took me another four years before I conceived of my business. So, yeah, which is the business that I run today. And, um, you know, I basically, you know, had this um, idea for a product-based business, a consumer product. And my first product was actually a diaper bag that we no longer, we're no longer in the diaper bag space. But that was this, like, this epiphany moment of I'm going to create a diaper bag. And, you know, big surprise to me because I've never created anything in my life you know, and knew nothing about manufacturing, nothing about fashion, nothing, nothing, nothing. But it was just this light bulb moment of I'm going to do this. I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to figure it out. And as much as it was about wanting to create a product, it was equally as much about taking action against the voice in my head that said, you're crazy. You can't do any, like you think you can do, no, like forget it, right? And I've had enough therapy to understand that that voice wasn't real. Um, and so I just decided I'm just going to take the next step. And, you know, it was a very slow process because I had a seven-month-old baby. And, oh, and wow. then I had another baby like 16 months after that. So during that period, you know, I was a new mom with two young babies. and But yet I had this idea. And it was the idea that fueled me during the, that period, because I, I found it very, very difficult to be a mom. And, mm. you know, really, I felt like a robot, you know, just like constantly mm. cleaning and feeding and this and that. And I needed a dream to hang on to. Mm. And so, you know, the idea of this, this business was, 
really what allowed me to uh, to to have something that was mine, you know, mm. and and so it was a very slow process. But, you know, um, at three years later, I had a product in my hand that was a finished product that I was, you know, going to take to market. Right. Mm. And um, um, the first. You know, product that I created was a complete flop. And um, there was so much, you know, that can go into so much detail. But suffice it to say that I never expected the business to go anywhere. Mm -hmm. And yet it there was always something in front of me that was next. And and I would Mm -hmm. always just be like, okay, I'm going to do this. And I'd look back and go, well, you know, even though I don't think I could do that, I did this. And I didn't think Mm -hmm. I could do that. Right. But it was always like this sense of like that imposter syndrome where mm-hmm. I felt like, yeah, but I was lucky. Like, you know, maybe I could do that, but I definitely could never do that. Right. And mm-hmm. then I'd get there and it was just on and on and on and on. And eventually I got to a point where it was like, you know what? You are doing this. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, despite all of that, I would have to say that the business um has been and continues to be the most challenging thing I have ever done in my life. You know, probably equally hard as quitting heroin, right? Wow. <laughs> and maybe harder because it's been a longer process, right? But um, um, what has, you know, really woven back to your original question is, mm-hmm. you know, as I navigated each and every challenge, right? And I stepped into new roles that I never expected to, like when I actually went from being like this solo like person to hiring my first employee Mm -hmm. and really felt like I'm not a boss. I just need help with my business, right? And and really stepping into like, actually you are a boss and you have Mm -hmm. someone who who has their own hopes and dreams that you Mm -hmm. need to take care of them, right? And, Mm -hmm. And like really seeing myself in expanding into someone that I never thought I could be was the process of my empowerment, right? Mm -hmm. And as I could see this happening, another part of me was like, wow, you know, I wish I could share what, like the subtext behind this brand because, or Mm -hmm. this experience, because it's so fascinating to me, right? Mm -hmm. And and at the same time, people would come up to me and they'd go, wow, you know, I see your lunch bags everywhere. You're doing so well. Like, you're so successful. And I really, like, we were in such dire straits with the business mm-hmm. for so long mm-hmm. that, you know, part of me would be like, you have no idea how hard it is, right? You have no idea. And um, and I remember thinking that, you know, because there was no backstory for anybody, really, because it was all private, that maybe people would look at me and go, well, you know what? She's lucky. She had mm. this. She had that. She's she's successful because of whatever. Mm. And I really wanted people to know, no, right? Like, that is not the truth. I want people to know, like, what it's really like, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I was grappling with, like, how do I share this? You know, how do I mm-hmm. share this and bring it into the story? And um, from a timing perspective... Um, this was around 2018, and we mm-hmm. had decided to get out of the diaper bag business and our product line, which is a consumer products line in 
uh, what started out in the kids' lunchboxes and backpack space mm-hmm. has now grown into women's lifestyle and on-the-go accessories. And basically, when I decided that I wanted to move into like a women's wellness space, um, what we found was that a big brand um, had knocked us off. And oh, wow. we knew that they had knocked us off. They, they, t- they took my, a unique shape of our kids' uh, lunch bag, a smaller one that we had. And, you know, they just borrowed like elements from it that are not otherwise available on the market. Like we use linen, they used linen, they used exactly the same shape and dimensions. And even their descriptions on the brand was pretty much the same. Pretty and then similar, they put yeah. their own print on it. And, and, I mean, I guess it's okay if I say the brand, but it was the brand Kate Spade. And so basically, you know, when I saw it, it was like, oh, wow, they used our bag as inspiration. Mm -hmm. And and I thought, what would, why would a consumer ever, like, looking at, you know, our bag and Kate Spade's bag, why would they ever at this point choose ours over Kate Spade, right? Mm -hmm. And when you looked at our website and our messaging, there was absolutely no reason, right? Unless you just really liked the photos on our website and you liked the designs a little bit better or whatever it was. But it wasn't like there was nothing that was compelling about our brand. Yeah, the brand story wasn't there. Exactly, right? And I was like, I know know what would make people resonate with our brand. It's the story, the story Mm -hmm. that I'm dying to tell, right? Mm -hmm. And so basically... Uh, It was at that time that I decided, you know what, I think I have to start with my story of recovery, right? And a part of me was like, that's crazy. Like, this is a kid, like, you know, like people are going to be buying kids lunchboxes and then they're going to see a story about my recovery from heroin addiction. Like, Mm. how does that make any sense? And like, who else does this? Like nobody, right? But, you know, it was just this very strong sense, you know, and I um, should say that you know, along the way, along the journey of entrepreneurship, which has been a long journey, like my son is now 18, right? And I started the Mm -hmm. business when he was seven months old, right? So it's been a long, you know, say that we were officially in business until about 10 years ago. It wasn't really a thing. But, you know, I had the dream for that long, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I uh, reached levels of stress, and the burden of responsibility was huge. Uh, my husband, who was running a digital marketing agency, you know, when my kids were young, um, he came on board to the company, mm-hmm. um, you know, in 2014. And and then it became the sole source of income for our family. Right. And the weight of that was so heavy on me that, you know, I really was so miserable, right? I was mm-hmm. just not a happy camper. And um and I knew at a certain point that if I didn't do something about that, that I was going to get sick. And right. so along the way, what happened was I had always had kind of a meditation practice, but I decided like, I must make this a priority. So I did. And I became an avid meditator. And in that process, I believe it's all connected, right? But it eventually led to this, you know, this sense of I need to share my story and, um, and, you know, it took me six months to write my story and then share it with my inner circle first mm. and kind of, you know, get people's feedback first before I went live with it. And um, when I did, it changed everything. And, mm. you know, what it did, and it changed everything for me, actually. Mm. And, you know, I think from a brand perspective, people 
definitely um, were very, very receptive to the story. But it wasn't so much that. It was that when I told the truth about, you know, um, my story, I was able to develop a human-to-human conversation yeah. Yeah. With, mm-hmm. with our customers, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and then people started sharing their stories, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And people that I even knew, like my employees didn't know my story. And like it wow. just brought a whole layer of like authenticity to the conversation, right? And that is what is most meaningful to me, right? Mm-hmm. And so it gave me a purpose greater than what the original vision was, which is when I started this business, I really thought that like, If I could manage to create a business that sold millions and that was in all these stores and that all this, then I could feel good inside and then I would Mm -hmm. feel worthy. This season of The Brand is Female is made possible with the support of TD Women in Enterprise and they're about confidently building you. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. It takes sound advice plus guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. What's great about TD services for women in business is their collaborative approach. TD can facilitate and connect you to workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way so we can share experiences and learn from each other. TD Women and Enterprise has banking specialists who are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business. So I was going to ask, was there a point in that journey and now that you've had the business for about 18 years, even yeah. though you said it took it took maybe 10 years for it to become a, a serious business, but did that perception of yourself change? Was there a moment where you know, did you reach that point where you finally said, okay, I might be doing something right here and I might actually know what I'm doing as an entrepreneur and a business owner? Yes. I think what happened was that um, my personal life intersected and my personal growth intersected with the business. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, this sense that there's a weaving of a story of healing in my life, right? And that Mm -hmm. the business became kind of like the vehicle through which I healed and transformed and through which I could share this message of healing and transformation, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a little tricky, right? Because we do ultimately sell products. And I love making products. I love coming up with, you know, solving problems and, and, you know, design aesthetics and all that stuff. But really what it is, is wanting to tie, you know, the story of like, when you hold up one of our products, you understand that there is a message here. And the message mm-hmm. is that um, the that we have what we need inside of us, right? We, we, we mm-hmm. can access it. And it's a testament of, you know, my being able to do that being an example of your being able to do that, like a mm-hmm. reminder, right? Yeah. To, to yeah. other people, right? And that's mm-hmm. really what we are trying to get across to the consumer. Mm-hmm. Still working mm-hmm. on, still working on that. It's very tricky to um, to develop that um, line of messaging. Mm-hmm. 
So I want to come back because we brought up, or I brought up in in a previous question, um, I asked you about mentors or role models. So I'm curious to know if there are women entrepreneurs um, in your industry or just, you know, women in general who were a source of inspiration or still are for you today. Yeah. So initially when I started my business, you know, the, the story of entrepreneurship that really, really, um, I really drew a lot of, um, you know, hope and um, inspiration from was the story of Kate Spade. And, you know, I re recall reading the story of how she developed this, um, these four shapes and um, took her bags to a show in New York, the New York Now show, which I eventually ended up doing and, and how the business grew from, from mm -hmm. there, like Barney's picked it up and, and then it eventually became this powerhouse of a brand. And, um, and I, I remember just initially thinking like, she's my hero. I want to be like mm. Kate Spade, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's so ironic in so many ways because the brand Kate Spade, where after she had gone, had had been the one to knock us off, which, you yeah. know, prompted the whole decision on my part to tell my personal story. But then further right. to that was the tragedy of, mm -hmm. you know, her, her suicide. And, and mm -hmm. you know, when I really, really think about that, I think about like, you know, my secrets, it was in telling my secrets that it set me free, right? Mm. And I remember hearing about how, you know, her family had urged her to get help for her depression. Yeah. And she just mm. couldn't go there because she felt that she had to protect her protect identity. That, yeah, and that, that pretty story around exactly, her and her name. Right? Mm -hmm. And I, I, mm. I really find that so tragic because, mm -hmm. you know, it was the truth that would have set her free, you know? Well, there's, I think there's something too in her story about how it was very difficult. The sale of her company was very difficult for her and seeing yes. her name, you know, not yes. owning her own brand. And Bobby Brown has spoken about that as well because she, she sold, you know, her brand, which is also her name. And uh, that was very difficult. And she's spoken about that process and what it represented for her. So I think there, there's something there for, for women entrepreneurs to, to ponder too. And I think, it, our identity becomes so linked to yeah. what we do, especially when it's a brand, when it's our baby and we're, when we own that business yeah. and it's important to take time to, you know, stay grounded. And you've, you've spoken about the meditation practice that you have. And I think that's where things like that come into play because we have to be, we have to take care of our mental health. Exactly. Even when we're focusing on, on business growth. Yeah. A hundred percent. But yeah, so so ironic uh, about about Kate Spade. It really but thank is. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. Yeah. And what does success look like for you today? So you know, you now have a thriving business. You there are members uh, on your team now. So you're a leader. You're uh, a boss for as as you said for for the the employees working with you. Um. But what? How how would you measure success in your life? What's the what's your yeah. definition of that today? And and I'm curious to know if. I had asked you the same question, you know, at, at the start of this uh, entrepreneurial journey, maybe 15 years ago, if the answer would have been different. Oh, 100% different. Even actually, quite honestly, pre-pandemic to now, mm. <laughs> it's changed. Um, and um, for a number of reasons, I would say that my definition of success today is very much um, wanting or 
creating a business that is thriving and healthy that, you know, there is a purpose tied to profit. There is a uh, uh, a shared uh, vision, you know, that I am not alone in, you know, the the success of my business, that it really is very much creating an environment for my team to be, to feel like they're really proud of being a part of something, right? Mm-hmm. And that we can generate that out through the business. So as we grow and, you know, we're able to really get that message out to people that it's actually something that um, changes the world, right? Whether mm-hmm. it's in a small way, uh, that contribution is, um, I guess, reflected in the growth of the company, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, of course, being profitable is important, um, but profit for the good of something that can help other people, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and, you know, it's interesting because um, we're still struggling to get back on our feet after the pandemic. So much has changed. And, you know, there was this period, you know, of a couple of years before, right before the pandemic, where we were on this like crazy growth trajectory. Mm. And, you know, we'd gotten our products into um, anthropology stores and to Indigo and, and, you know, the projections for 2020 were just like scary, right? Because Mm -hmm. they were, the growth was, the, the opportunities were there. And, and I remember just feeling like, oh my God, this is all happening so fast. And I, I, I don't like, I don't know how to make this all work. It's all too much. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and feeling trapped, you know, mm-hmm. and then like, you know, of course just the pandemic hit. Yes. And, and you know, slowed being everything in, down for you. <laughs> well, we were definitely not in a category that people were buying, right? Like yeah. some people, like their sales went up. Our sales just went to almost to zero right? Because mm-hmm. nobody was going anywhere for lunches. Yeah, and yeah. Um, it really forced me to, um, to really look at like, what's important, you know, mm-hmm. and what do I want? And I could actually take a step back and go like, wow, I actually don't just want to grow like crazy, just for mm-hmm. no, for aimless purposes, like what it's just so much stress, right? And mm-hmm. so, so it was very much this like, um, rethinking of what is most important to me, you know, and values and understanding, Mm -hmm. like, actually, time is really important to me, like having time to myself and being able to take care of myself and take care of my family and like, you know, really just intentionally kind of put my energy into the things that matter to me, right? Whereas Mm -hmm. I was just kind of reacting before that, you know? And what would be your advice? So you've talked about your own experience of feeling, you use the term imposter syndrome and kind of having a lot of self-doubt about your own abilities and, and your value. Uh, what's your advice to uh, entrepreneurs, you know, somebody who might have a business idea, but are very much uh, feeling the imposter syndrome, are afraid of, of you know, failing? Ultimately, that's really what it is. Um, what would you what would you say to these young entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs of any age who are thinking about starting their own business? Um, well, I know that everyone feels that way, even though there's always that like, yeah, I know you feel that way, but mine is real, right? Like that, that's yeah, yeah. kind of, um, <laughs> I would say that it's not the thing to focus on, right? The thing mm-hmm. to focus on is um, what 
what is calling you and does that make you feel alive, right? Mm -hmm. And if it makes you feel alive, then you know you're on the right track, Mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, for me, I would say the most important thing that has helped me along the way has been my network, right? Mm -hmm. Of having surrounding myself with people and telling the truth, right? Like really just saying, this is where I'm at. Like I feel like shit. Like I just Mm. like, I can't do this. I feel like a failure. I don't know anything, all of this. And we take turns, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And when, you know, look back over time, you realize, um, wow, like I really like what Steve Jobs, um, he talked about in his Stanford um, address about like, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking back. Mm. And it's true. Like when I look back, there were so many situations in which I was like, okay, well, we're done now, right? Mm-hmm. And and then something comes out of the blue, right? So mm-hmm. um, it is a very, uh, for me, a very faith-filled act to be continuously an entrepreneur. <laughs> it is. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. Absolutely. I like how you put that. And then my favorite question to ask guests on the show, what's one thing you wish women would do more of and one thing you wish they would do less of? And I'm sure we'll put self-doubt and in that category, but right. I'd love to know what your answer is. Yeah. You know, I think in general, the thing that I wish people would do um, more of is tell the truth, right? Mm-hmm. To just to be real, right? And not feel like you have to put on these masks where, you know, like you, you need to uh, act as if, you know, you're more or better because mm-hmm. when you actually tell the truth, then the other person starts telling the truth and then you have right. a connection, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and that's really like, it is such a fulfilling thing to, be able to be around people and to be able to be yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you've talked about that network that you've created and that community who supports you. And I know for some, some entrepreneurs or even, even, you know, women in professional roles or executive roles, sometimes we don't know where to start. So right. how did you go about building that, that community around you? And, you know, what, what are easy things we can do when we're looking to create that network for ourselves? Yeah, I mean, you know, the first um, like mastermind group that I belonged to, um, I had a really great entrepreneur friend. The two of us would uh, exchange a lot and support each other a lot. And um, she called me one day and she's like, you know, I'm reading Jack Canfield's Success Principles and he talks about a mastermind group. And I think we need to start a mastermind group, right? And so between the two of us, we just came up with names of people who like we kind of knew or, mm-hmm. you know, or might be great because of their business and put together a group of initially it was eight people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it changed a little bit in the beginning, but eventually we got it down to six people who you know, it's an investment, right? Like you Mm -hmm. make a commitment that you will show up every time because if you don't Mm -hmm. show up, then there's gaps and like, it it just falls apart. But you start to see the power that's generated by consistently meeting and consistently Mm -hmm. supporting each other and 
that mastermind group became such a powerhouse. Um, you know, it was a four year long, um, you know, it ended up being four years long. And then, you know, eventually people like somebody sold their company and like, you know, all different pe- different things happen. Um, but I still think back on that. Like I belong to a different one now. There's organized mm-hmm. masterminds that, you know, that you pay to belong to. Yeah. But I really mm-hmm. think that what we did initially, like trying to find people who are, you know, kind of at your level. I think that's really important, right? Um, that was free. And um, and it was, uh, you know, basically, uh, I can't believe some of the growth that happened in that group, you know? Mm-hmm. So I would I would highly recommend that. Yeah, and it's as simple as reaching out, right? And exactly. LinkedIn and social media makes our life easier for things like that. So not being afraid to ask for that virtual coffee or just that exchange. And I find most most women, especially entrepreneurs, usually welcome the, this type of outreach. Absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it was, you know, and it, this was also pre-pandemic as well. So we would meet in person and it was just yeah. really nice. You know, there was like wine and cheese and like it just it turned into kind of a book. It's a social. Almost, right? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's great advice. Well, thank you so much, uh, Catherine. It's been great hearing about your journey. So impressive to hear what you've been able to overcome and, you know, kind of kind of fight that that own that that imposter syndrome uh, inside yourself. So that's inspiring for all of us and wishing you the best with the company. So we'll stay tuned to see what the brand is up to. And we'll share all the links for our listeners to go and check out your brand. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. My pleasure. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. And if you did, as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and give us a review wherever that is possible. Thank you to TD Women and Enterprise for their support of The Brand is Female. You've got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you so much for listening to a podcast by The Brand is Female. I'm Ava Hartling, and this episode was produced by our team. Sound engineering by Isabel Morris. Research and production support, Claire Miglionico. Yeah.